0: Well, it's Sunday night, time for our uh, study time in God's Word. I don't know of very many churches that do anything much on Sunday night anymore, but we're trying to keep this, all, keep this all going. The study is soul food, the things you need to know about your Bible. And for about three weeks now, we've been studying the one who trembles at God's Word. And so we're continuing from last Sunday night, same Old Testament text, Isaiah 66, one to four, a very strange text that we've been studying for a number of weeks now. Isaiah 66, verse one. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. So here's a group of people. They are continuing to worship in the temple, but outside the temple, they do their own thing. They live life their own way. And they're impressed with the temple. And that's why God says, really, do you think I'm confined to a building like this? I made everything. I'm wherever you go. Your devotion to me has to be that deep and that real. Then these strange words. Verse 3, he who slaughters an ox, that's the sacrifice in the temple, is like one who kills a man. He who sacrifices a lamb, again in the temple, like one who breaks a dog's neck. He who presents a grain offering, again in the temple, like one who offers pig's blood, he who makes a memorial offering of frankincense in the temple, like one who blesses an idol. So, understand, God is not saying the people have done all those bad things, like breaking a dog's neck, murdering a man, offering peak. The, the idea is not that they've done that. The idea is, when they offer the sacrifices, and live the rest of their lives on their own terms, even their sacrifices turn into something as ugly as breaking a dog's neck and murdering a person. So that's the point the prophet is making. You can't can't partition off, I'll be good in the temple and do my own thing outside the temple, because what you do in the temple then looks ugly in God's eyes. Okay, that's the point. These have chosen their own ways. Last part of verse 3. And their soul delights in their abominations. I will also choose harsh treatment for them. God's God's going to judge them in wrath. Bring their fears upon them. Because when I called, no one answered. Earlier, the one God delights in trembles at his word. These people, God calls, they don't even turn around. Don't even listen. When I spoke, they did not listen. But they did what was evil in my eyes and chose that in which I did not delight. So really, it's a text defining sin. And and it explains why our whole culture has a hard time understanding both sin and God. I mean, our world doesn't understand how we can all be sinners when many people seem to be living lives that are relatively decent and relatively moral. And our world can't understand why those Morally decent acts can still be under God's wrath. Acts, all acts, are defined as holy or sinful to the degree that they line up out of a love for God and a devotion to God alone. So any kind of self-rule that these people, they're offering the sacrifices God commanded. They're doing exactly what God said in the temple. Outside the temple, they're just doing their own thing. Okay, self-rule. Those those are the abominations God is talking about. Everything that expresses independence from God, anything that exalts the governance of self, even good deeds that exalt self and deny God, those are all sinful. So, so that's a huge introduction that the prophet makes. Last week, We looked at five telltale signs of a heart that trembles at God's word. Let me just fly over them. A. A heart that trembles at God's word sees the authority of God behind everything his word says. And we looked at Deuteronomy 32, 46, 47. Moses said to them, take to heart all the words I'm warning you today. He got them from God. That you may command them to your children that they may be careful to do all the words of the law, for this is no empty word for you, but your very life. Okay, so a heart that trembles at God's word sees God's authority in what he says. B, a heart that trembles at God's word never will form a case against immediately performing it. C, a heart that trembles at God's word takes seriously the judgment of God On those who disregard his word. And then we looked at, under that point, the prophet Isaiah and and his stunned response. Jeremiah 5 21 to 25. Hear this, O foolish and senseless people, who have eyes but see not, have ears but hear not. Then God says, Do you not fear me, declares the Lord? Do you not tremble before me? Down to verse 24. They do not say in their hearts, let us fear the Lord our God who gives rain in its season, the autumn rain and the spring rain, and keeps for us the weeks appointed for the harvest. Your iniquities have turned these away, dried up the sky, losing the crops. Your sins have kept you from good. So a heart that trembles at God's word, take seriously the judgment of God on those who ignore it. D, the heart that trembles at God's word knows the depth to which he exposes the motives, the attitudes, and the schemes of my heart. It's not just the outward deed. If you really tremble at God's word, you look into the heart and soul. Hebrews 4.12 says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. It gets easy for us. See, I I can fool people who just look at the outside of my life. They don't know what's going on in my heart, my attitudes. And it's easy to transfer that and think lightly of God, like somehow he'll just be impressed with the things I do, these people in Isaiah's text, the things I do in the temple. He, he's not going to know all the attitudes of my heart when I leave. E. The fifth thing. The heart that trembles at God's word is constantly taught and drawn by God's unbelievable grace. Romans 2.4. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. That's a question every, I think every uh, professing Christian needs to press into his or her own heart. Do you presume on the riches of kindness? Sometimes we do, eh? When I don't forsake sin right away, when I allow a bad attitude toward a brother or sister in the church, when I'm not sacrificial in missions and building the kingdom on earth, Well, God's gracious. He's loving. So Paul says, do you you just presume on that? See, that grace, that's meant to draw your heart out in love, not to make you lazy. So those are five key signs of a living, trembling heart before God. But we need to say a little bit more. Because there are people who don't possess that kind of heart toward God. There are people who still aren't bothered by their spiritually dead condition. There are people who don't even perceive themselves as spiritually dead or lost and would be insulted if you told them they were. Why is this? So, if people don't possess a heart that trembles at God's word, why do some still claim spiritual life? That's what I want to study in the next little while, I want to look at three things. Three things that are similar to heart spirituality. They're similar, but they're not quite the same. So, I think this is important. I think there are three traits that are commonly taken for a godly heart, but might not be. They may be, but they aren't necessarily. A living trembling heart before god's word isn't just three things isn't just a moved heart emotionally it isn't just an agreeing heart that accepts the truth and it isn't even just a convicted heart that feels badly for sin it's not quite the same as those things i want to look at those three things now for the next little while one there is a difference between a heart that trembles at God's word and a heart that is merely moved emotionally by what it hears. Here's where I get that idea. Look at Acts 24, 22 to 25. Paul before Felix. Acts 24, 22. But Felix... Having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, that's what the Christian life was called, the life of disciples. It was called the way. Having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, he put them off, saying, when Lysias, the tribune comes down, I will declare your case. And then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but have some liberty, and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul. So he goes, Paul, come back. And he heard him speak about faith in Jesus Christ. So here's Felix. He listens to Paul for a bit, sends him away, but then later says, no, no, get get him back. I want to hear more about Jesus. 25. And as he, Paul, reasoned, as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. That would have been the third time he called Paul back to hear him. Now, if we're going to sift through all the truth of these verses, there, there, I think there are several important things in Felix's heart because they're incredibly common and frequently come to be identified with real spiritual life. And they aren't quite the same thing. Look at some of these things about Felix. A, he had an understanding of the truths about Jesus Christ. The text says that. And he felt very comfortable discussing them. Anxious, in fact, calls Paul back. That's made clear in 22 and 24. Having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, Okay, that's in 22. And then 24, he sends for Paul, wants to hear him speak about faith in Jesus Christ. So the text says Felix knew about the way, which was a term quickly given to converts to Jesus Christ. They became known as people of the way. The text says Felix had an accurate knowledge. And the text also says that he liked to discuss this because he sent for Paul, 24, to speak about his faith in Jesus Christ. So, so Felix, he knows that Paul is a follower of Christ. He knows Paul's not some dreamy, foggy-minded mystic. He's not a religious fanatic. He has respect for Paul. He calls him back. He listens to Paul because he likes what Paul has to say. He agrees. But he's not saved. B, here's something else. Felix sensed that Paul was telling him the truth, and Felix sensed his own guilt, his sinfulness. You see that in the 25th verse? And as Paul reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed. It's me, coming judgment. Oh, that's me. And then he said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I'll summon you. So Felix not only knew that what Paul was talking about was true in the sense of information, but he also recognized the power of Paul's words. There was a certain level at which it says he was alarmed. That's the, the, the very word the text uses. So Felix would listen to Paul speak about God and judgment and alarms would go off in his mind. Wow. But for all of that, Sends him away. There's a level of interest. But what counts is commitment. What counts is buy-in. Felix doesn't have it. Number two. Point number two. The heart that trembles at God's word is different from a heart that merely agrees with doctrinal content. Now, if you're like me, if you're a a second or a third generation Christian, yet you really do have to constantly probe your own heart a bit. because, Because we, of all people, have a terrible tendency to measure ourselves just by sort of doctrinal content, a checklist of correct Beliefs. We look for people that don't hold those beliefs and we mark the beliefs that we hold as orthodox. Now, sound belief is very important. You can't get to heaven without knowing the truth. But sound belief in itself is not the same as being a Christian. There's that fascinating verse in James 2.19. James says, you believe that God is one. You do well. He's talking to these religious people. Even the demons believe and shudder. The demons know all these things. The demons would qualify for membership in many evangelical churches. In fact, it makes makes a bit of an interesting study, the faith of demons. Here's what demons do right. A, the text says they believe in the one true God. I'll tell you what you will never see, Old Testament or New. You'll find a lot of people worshiping idols. You will never see a demon bowing before an idol. They just don't do it. They lead other people to worship idols, but they know better themselves. The only God they recognize is the one God of the Bible. B, they believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Demons do. You don't have to take my word for it. You can see it right in the scriptures. Look at Matthew chapter 8. 28 to 30. And when he, Jesus, came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out. This is the demons. What have you to do with us, O son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now, a herd of many pigs was feeding some distance from them. You know the rest of that story. So these demons, a lot of other people weren't sure who Jesus was. The demons know who Jesus is. They see his absolute power. They don't want you dwelling on it, but they know it. Here's what else demons believe. See, they truly believe in the doctrine of judgment. It's clear, it's clear right in that text we read, Matthew 8, 29. What do you want with us, Son of God, they shouted. Have you come to torture us, listen, before the appointed time? They know there's an appointed time of judgment. They know all about it. They fear it. D, demons believe all of those things so forcefully that they are visibly shaken by the force of those truths. Look at 219 of James again. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder, tremble, some translations. But this isn't trembling before God's word like Isaiah is talking about. This is just a recognition that they're in big trouble. So in spite of all the similarities between this reaction and the heart that Isaiah described as trembling at God's word, they're not the same at all. And that kind of brings us to the heart of the teaching. The heart that trembles at God's word is a heart that trembles out of love for God and a sanctifying fear of God. It's just a heart that recognizes that our love for God can be a fragile thing. We fear toying with God. We fear drifting from God. Above all, we fear grieving him more than we fear grieving anyone else. That's a heart that trembles at God's word. Let me close by telling you a story about the opposite of trembling of a trembling heart. I can still remember a time when after what must have been a particularly bad performance from the four Horban boys, I can remember my dad in Prince George, BC, marching the four young brothers down into the basement of our parsonage, And there was my mother doing as she always seemed to be doing in the basement, the laundry. Only this time my mom was crying. Almost, I guess, in disbelief at the wickedness of the sons she had brought into this world. I'm not sure what we did, but there was some. My dad, optimistically... Got the brilliant idea in his head that if he marched us down there and we just caught a glimpse of my mom's broken heart. That that probably would instill more moral transformation in these demonic Horbon boys than dealing with them something more akin to the great white throne judgment. And so down the stairs we went into the damp darkness. It was closer to a cellar than what people nowadays would consider a basement. And there was mom, silent, heartbroken. And dad marched all four of us up to her, standing from the oldest to the youngest. And he made us apologize for our wayward behavior, which we did. Because he told us to. And then he looked at the four of us and said that he hoped this would stay in our minds and that would be punishment enough, what we had done to our mother. Now I can still remember clear as a bell, the four of us just going outside into our backyard, picking up the football, marveling over the incredible good luck of not having been ushered into the presence of Jesus. And just having to offer that little apology. Now you see, what dad was hoping for, and what we obviously didn't possess, was a heart that would tremble at grieving the one we loved more than it feared any kind of physical punishment or pain. And he recognized that ultimately that's the only thing that can permanently keep a life on track. We can argue our way out of rules. We can do things behind the back of a supervisor. But when our hearts tremble at grieving someone we love, we can at last pursue holiness. Because it's rooted in a love of God. And we actually prefer pleasing him to not pleasing him. And, and that's important. You you get to that place, a heart that trembles at God's word starts to not just pursue righteousness, it starts to prefer it. Even when it fails, it still prefers righteousness and pleasing the heart of the God it loves. This is the reason, by the way, for so many um, superficial and temporary conversions that you frequently see. The foundation doesn't get laid right at the beginning. People can be lightly moved by all sorts of things. I'm not, I'm not trying to be condemning here, but there can arise a temporary fear of the Lord because a loved one is sick and near death. And the fear of losing them drives us in desperation to making all sorts of promises to God. God. There can arise a temporary fear of the Lord because, well, there's a teenager that's going wild. Goodness knows I'd better get more serious about Jesus so my child will have a better example to follow. There can arise a fear of some major financial setback or ruin and suddenly I think, Ooh, I better start tithing. Maybe God will bless what I'm doing. The list can go on and on. But what's, but what's missing in each of those things Is that simple example of the fear of the Lord. A heart that trembles out of love for him alone. A heart that would rather grieve anyone other than God. The pure fear of the Lord. The trembling heart. It may have many desires, but the dominating desire is that God be glorified and pleased in everything I do. And here's the thing. If you fear grieving God, more than you fear grieving anyone else, you can't make very many big mistakes in life. It will keep you safe, it will keep you clean, and it will keep you full of the joy of the Lord. The heart that trembles at God's word. Thank you, Jesus, for this time of study. We want hearts like that. We want to be like that. And so more and more, as we, Paul says, beholding the glory of the Lord are transformed from one degree of glory to another. Let that be happening in Cedarview Community Church. Even during this pandemic, here we are all over the place. Make us more like Jesus and keep us growing in you, I pray in your name. Amen. Bless you, church. Stay in the word. Love one another and join us for our prayer time.